Coming up on this episode of The Extra Mile. And they want Accelerate to be the entity that sets the vision and strategy in, in concert with communication and collaboration with our leadership that then we can uh, develop a plan with partners like Dep the Department of Employment Security, DHS, Rehab Services. Hurricane season is here and MDOT wants to help you get out of harm's way. Visit GoMDOT.com slash hurricanes to download free resources. Find your nearest hurricane evacuation route by downloading MDOT's Hurricane Evacuation Guide, which maps out more than 20 different hurricane evacuation routes. Need help packing your go bag? MDOT's Hurricane Emergency Checklist offers a full list of items to include. Don't wait for a storm to threaten. Prepare today. That's nearly $2 billion, and that's money that's going to be spent on improving safety, enhancing mobility, and improving economic growth and development in the state of Mississippi. Yeah, and with this historic funding from the legislature, new construction will be popping up all over Mississippi. MDOT presents the Extra Mile Podcast. Men and women of the Department of Transportation are up to the task and up to make sure that we deliver a product that the taxpayers uh, can be proud of. So I'm ready for us to go to work. Welcome in to another edition of the Extra Mile podcast presented by the Mississippi Department of Transportation. I'm MDOT Deputy Director of Public Affairs, Paul Katul, and as always, I'm joined by my co-host, Will Kraft. He is the Director of Public Affairs here at the agency, and for the second episode in a row, we are at the MDOT Studios. Very excited to have an office and agency head here. We have Mr. Ryan Miller, who serves as the Director of the Office of Workforce Development, which is also known as Accelerate Mississippi. And he began his tenure as director in April of 2021. So a little over two years, very new agency, very new office. Ryan, thank you so much for coming in and speaking with us. Why don't you kick us off and kind of tell us about yourself and kind of what led you to Accelerate Mississippi? Yeah, thanks, Paul. And uh, Will, thank you for the invitation. It's a joy to get to visit with you all today and, and talk a little bit about Accelerate and what the office was created to do, what it is doing, and what we hope it will do in the future. Um, as you mentioned, I, I started in this role April of 2021, so the office has been in existence and operation a little over, I mean, we're approaching two and a half years now. Uh, and, you know, for those that don't know, our office was created to serve as, as really a, a point of coordination for all strategy that had to do with workforce in the state of Mississippi, and also, uh, in a way, to try to, with that strategy, align the resources that we have in the state to focus those resources in a way uh, that, might, uh, that might grow opportunity for Mississippians. So, uh, uh, more pathways that lead Mississippians to careers with a higher earning trajectory, and then also helping the industry find the people that they need uh, with the skills that they need. So in a nutshell, that's what the office was created to do. And, uh, uh, you know, I, I came into this role uh, with a lot of uh, energy and a lot of, uh, you know, hope and desire to see improvement, continuous improvement in that Kaizen model. Uh, you're never done getting things better. You're never done improving. Um, and, and so far, we've, we've put together a pretty good team and some great partnerships to get that, uh, that continuous improvement philosophy off the ground for the state of Mississippi. 
Excellent. Why don't you kind of back up, tell us, sure. you know, where you came from, uh, you know, what you've done in the past and what kind of led you to this role? Yeah, well, absolutely. My, my previous role, I served uh, at the Center for Manufacturing Excellence at the University of Mississippi. So the Haley Barber Center uh, was created in 2008, and I was one of the first uh, employees of the center. Dr. Jim Vaughn, the original director, uh, he was tasked with creating the program. Uh, he and, and Bill Gotchel, who uh, used to work with the, the center uh, as well, hired me to come on board to help put kind of meat on the bones of this, this uh, innovative academic program. And the reason I bring that up is the CME was really designed to try to help college students from multiple disciplines on campus, engineering, business, accountancy, and other disciplines, uh, find their path to a job, a meaningful career out in industry, specifically in manufacturing. And so for nearly 13 years, I helped create uh, that program. I helped, uh, had some insight into some of the academics and some of the curriculum that, that they have deployed. Um, though we've had a, it's an unbelievable team of, of ac academicians and professionals who, who, who really uh, led the charge there. I, I was very fortunate and humbled to, to be able to sit at the table with them as that came, into, it came to fruition. But at the end of the day, our job was to try to help young people find a future for themselves in, in a career path. And so that, uh, that, you know, I think lent itself really uh, well to taking on this responsibility at the, at, the, at the common denominator, the core of what I did then. And what I feel I've been called to do now is to try to help people find a path, a path that's going to lead them to higher income for their household, uh, a, a path that's going to lead young people to see Mississippi as a destination for their career and for their livelihood, uh, a, a path that in many ways can help families see generational wealth that maybe have never experienced that before, and paths that ultimately will help our industry that we have now uh, find people that they need to continue to be successful as, uh, as uh, whether it's manufacturing or energy or transportation. Uh, those industry partners find the people that they need that they can continue to grow in their success and as a byproduct, maybe attract new industry and new businesses to the state. So my time at the CME was really focused on trying to help students find those paths. And for nearly a decade, I think that gave me some experience, some insight, and certainly a passion point that lent itself to me stepping into this role with, uh, with Accelerate Mississippi. Excellent. Yeah, and, and you know, from what I personal opinion here, you sound very passionate, knowledgeable, knowledgeable about what you're doing. And, mm. And, you know, that gives me great, you know, great hope for the workforce development stuff that's going on. Well, don't there. hold that bar too high because, <laughs> I mean, I, the, the, the truth is, uh, you know, when I came into the role in April, uh, I, w I was the office for about four months. And that's a terrifying thing for the state of Mississippi to think <laughs> that they had me. But since that time, well, we now have a, a team of about 20 people strong, some of whom that are, are stationed around the state of Mississippi, um, that are Accelerate teammates who are very knowledgeable, very passionate, and have an incredible wealth of experience in helping develop those pathways. And so, you know, the, the, wherever I was probably holding things back because of my lack of experience, I have now a team of people that I work with daily who are probably even more passionate than I am. So the future is bright, not because of anything that I do, but the people <laughs> I get to work with. Love that. Well, and as you talk about, as you talk passionately about Accelerate Workforce Development, what are some big things you have, you guys have going on right now, maybe major plans, focuses that y'all are working on? Sure. So I, I, the first thing that I'll, I'll mention, and it actually just happened a couple of weeks ago, we, we have now have had our second annual Mississippi Horizons Workforce Symposium. So you know, I had this desire to create an event that would be the annual event 
uh, by which all of our partners, which I can, I can talk about here uh, in a second, all of our partners would come to a, a single point uh, to discuss uh, what they see on the horizon as being either opportunity or an obstacle to getting Mississippians into those pathways that I alluded to earlier. So this would be an event that every year would, would be uh, essentially uh, a gut check, uh, uh, a status check to say, how are we doing as a state partnering together focusing our resources, focusing our strategy. Are we moving the needle? Are we not? If we are, how do we double down on those programs? If we aren't, how do we, how do we change? How do we change course and, and maybe redesign that strategy? That symposium this year brought nearly 600 people wow. uh, to, awesome. to, to Flowood where we, we had it there at the Sheraton. And, and this was comprised of uh, K through 12 educators, uh, community college workforce leaders and, and innovative thinkers. Uh, we had uh, every research institution in the state of Mississippi there represented, so Southern Miss, Jackson State, Mississippi State, and Ole Miss. Um, we had uh, philanthropists and community leaders. We had uh, some of our leadership, the governor, the lieutenant governor, some of our representatives and senators joined us in attendance. But most importantly, we had industry there. And this is where we had companies like Nissan and Toyota, but even smaller industry partners that were willing to come and share two, three, and even in some cases, four days of their time to sit around a table and say, again, here are the challenges we see for workforce. Here are the strategies we've seen accelerate, deploy that we like or that we don't think are working. Um, so that, that symposium was a, was a huge win for us in the, in the sense that it, it allowed us to have a much broader, more holistic but also more strategic conversation with the people with whom we need to have that conversation. Um, and I think, you, you know, ask me what's on the horizon, that's, that's kind of a big deal. What, what's kind of emerged from that is Accelerate has taken on uh, a responsibility of developing a much more unified workforce plan for the state of Mississippi. Um, I've heard the Lieutenant Governor, certainly heard the Governor and the Speaker of the House, all three say it's their expectation for our office to be that single lens through which we focus our ideation as well as the resources that we have respectively as different state entities and agencies and organizations. And they want Accelerate to be the entity that sets the vision and strategy in, in concert with communication and collaboration with our leadership that then we can uh, develop a plan with partners like Dep the Department of Employment Security, the DHS, Rehab Services, um, you name any agency or state entity that has workforce as a part of their DNA, the Community College Board, um, that we would collaborate in developing a unified, streamlined state plan that will speak to every level uh, of, of workforce strategy that the state has to have in order to be successful. And so uh, we unveiled quite a bit of that at our symposium this year. Um, it was met with some uh, great enthusiasm. It was, it was met with some pushback, which again is a helpful and healthy thing. If we have partners at the table hearing their, their concern or their frustration or their uh, maybe just some uh, you know, cri criticism that can be uh, constructive in nature, um, we're, we're fast in that development of that plan and, and very excited about uh, the, being able to deploy that. I think you're probably going to find out that in the February time frame we'll have something that's a little bit more spit-shined um, that will speak to the role that everyone plays and how we're to focus our resources together. That's awesome. Well, I, for one, am thoroughly impressed. Of course, Will and I work in an agency that's been around for decades and sure. decades and decades, and you're building something from the ground up. So 
super impressive. But I understand in that short time period, you've had a lot of successes too. Do mm-hmm. you kind of want to talk and document those? Sure, sure. So again, <clears throat> any success that we have as an organization is directly linked to the partnerships that we have. Um, I don't think you'll hear anybody at the Accelerate office. Um, if you do, please tell me. <laughs> I mean, our, our philosophy in the office is we, we are a, a team member. We are, and in some ways, I do believe that we are created to be a leader in some of these conversations and discussions, but we absolutely view ourselves as teammates with other state organizations. Um, and I, I think that, um, you know, we're, we're never going to stand up and, and uh, thump our chest and say that we're, uh, we're doing this on our own. Many of the successes, all of the successes, quite frankly, that we've had, even in these first two and a half years, have largely been as a result of collaborating and working with others. A good example would be with the Community College Board. Uh, we have responsibility uh, as an office over something that's called a, a WET fund, the Workforce Enhancement Training Fund. This is a, a fund that's generated by the unemployment insurance tax through the state of Mississippi, and it usually, depending on how much money is paid into that mechanism, yields about $20 million a year, of which we, in collaboration with our community college partners, will identify industry sectors of great need. That would be defined as those industry sectors that have a need for a human capital, more people, and those industry sectors that have a higher potential of earning for Mississippians. So whereas one industry sector may have a huge need for people, it may not be a targeted industry sector because the pay, the median household income that might be derived from it is not where we would think it needs to be. So we're focusing on those industry sectors where we know there's a need and there's great earning potential. And through these wet fund programs with our community colleges, we're able to deploy millions of dollars in diesel technicians, uh, diesel technician training, uh, the energy sector, logistics and supply chain, advanced manufacturing, healthcare. Over the first two and a half years, we have multiple, multiple examples of being able to deploy wet funds in a much more strategic, much more streamlined fashion that I think is going to have a, a greater return on investment for the state of Mississippi. And, and we're already seeing uh, a, a huge expansion in capacity in some of these programs. Um, we're putting some effort in with our partnerships to ensure that we're getting more interest in those sectors as well, that, that more students are, as they say, butts in seats. We're getting more people uh, to take advantage of those programs. But wet funds and kind of the overhaul and being more strategic and streamlined has been a huge success in my my estimation uh, and that we've had that responsibility. That's been one thing that I think has, uh, that, that has really been exciting to see, and I think the fruit of that is now coming to fruition. So uh, we'll, uh, we'll see some of those returns probably now that we're two years into some of those programs, you'll start to see some of that impact in those industry sectors we've indicated. That's nice. awesome. And I, I don't want to diminish or take away from but both points you've just made right there are excellent, but uh, again, you, you guys are so passionate, you got a lot going on. Any other kind of plans before we totally move on from that, or, you know, what's up ahead? Sure. Do you have anything else that you wanted to mention? Yeah, no, so absolutely. Um, you know, the, the, there are probably two other areas that I would say are of note that we've been working on pretty extensively and, and are excited to see um, uh, some of the returns there. You know, the, the, the state was uh, very kind, gracious, but also with uh, great uh, uh, hope and expectation 
uh, gave us authority over a great deal of ARPA funds as well for the workforce uh, component. Um, and, and as I know, other state organizations have had uh, use of those funds for a variety of different reasons. We have focused those in some of those industry sectors as well in much more of what we call a, a triage context. So uh, one of the things that we often talk about in our office is we try to categorize what we do programmatically into three buckets. One is called workforce triage. One is called horizon thinking, and the other is customizable training. Triage is simply how do we stop the bleeding of what we need right now in workforce. So that's where some of those wet fund programs where we know there are industry partners that need um, X number of new diesel technicians right now. They needed them yesterday. How do we get more Mississippians quickly through training programs to get them out into those industry sectors the fastest and meet that demand? So how do we stop the bleeding? Horizon thinking is going to be another success, uh, another program that comes from that, and that's our career coach program. Um, we're very, very excited that through some of the ARPA funds uh, that were appropriated uh, two sessions ago, uh, there was $8 million of ARPA funds made available to expand a career coach program that we had seen uh, created in Northeast Mississippi through the CREATE Foundation, uh, Tupelo area. Uh, we'd seen it also rolled out in Jackson County uh, through some of our partners uh, down on the Gulf Coast. But essentially, it's a, it's a program where we identify uh, men and women who uh, maybe they come from industry and, and uh, have retired. Maybe they're former teachers or guidance counselors. Um, many of them are, are entrepreneurs, successful entrepreneurs, but they're wanting to give back to their communities in a way where they're helping to shepherd young students in the K-12 space where many guidance counselors and teachers just don't have the time nor the resource. They have the will and the desire and the passion, but in many cases they don't have the time or the resource. So we have been able to expand through that initial $8 million. We were able to, uh, through our partners at the Planning Development Districts, identify roughly 100 career coaches to deploy around the state. Through the past legislative session, we were able to expand that. Uh, we went from $8 million of ARPA funds to $12 million of state funds. That has allowed us to expand that to 147 career coaches around the state of Mississippi. And when you take into, into uh, combination those coaches that were already in northeast Mississippi on the Gulf Coast, we now have 180-plus career coaches throughout the state. Eighty percent of our school districts now have access to a coach who's there to help introduce students, their whole job, help introduce students to all of the opportunities and career paths that they might not have otherwise known about. That is a horizon thinking program because it's laying the foundation for opportunities that will come years down the road. So whether it's through triage, like in our wet fund partnerships and in community colleges, or our horizon thinking like career coaches, those are programs we've been able to get off the ground and are hopeful to grow even in this next legislative session to make sure that 100% of all school districts have access to one should they want to. Hey, that's awesome. And I know when you're that young, it's kind of hard to think ahead and know what you're – it's kind of crazy. They, they make you decide what you're going to do at that age. So I, it's cool I, to – Yes. In fact, you know, I, I would always – I'd have college students that were juniors come into my office and say, I, I've changed my major yet again, and I'll be the first to admit, I've majored in everything the University of Mississippi had to – I didn't know. <laughs> Love it. And I, I think so much of what the time we need to spend with young people is helping them, yes, identify their strengths. Let's help them kind of enumerate all the abilities and strengths that they have. On the other column, identify their passion points. What do they, what do they like doing? Then try to find uh, any corresponding uh, items between those two lists and see where it intersects on the job market. And, and oftentimes what happens is students start to eliminate more things than they do identify things. So 
I'm 44. I'm still wondering what I'm going to be when I grow up. Yeah. So much of what we have to do is help young people identify the things they know they don't want to do sure. before they can zero in on the career paths they know they do want to do. I like that. Definitely, definitely. All right. So uh, every organization has their challenges. MDOT has challenges. Of course, others do. So have you kind of identified some of those hurdles that it's, that are you have to overcome to kind of accomplish your goals at Accelerate Mississippi? Yeah, I think you know, and these these are these are only maybe two uh, of of a multitude. But this is this is all because you know every time you peel back a layer of that onion, you find something else. And 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 look, I'll be the first to admit when I came to the role, I brought a lot of naivete into it. I will never say I'm an expert in workforce because I'm not. I don't think there are experts in workforce development. They're just passionate people that want to try to help. And if you can get them all together around the same table, amazing things can happen. But some of the challenges that I think we've experienced in peeling back those layers is just how complex an issue workforce really is. And I'll give you an example of that. One of the first meetings, uh, meetings that I had on the Mississippi Gulf Coast, and I grew up in Long Beach, Mississippi. That's, that's my hometown um, where I spent the formative years of my life. Uh, not too far from there, I was meeting with some economic developers, and I said, what's the biggest challenge your community faces as it relates to workforce? Now, I was assuming it was going to be, uh, we don't have, the, uh, we don't have the, the, the equipment that we need in our, our schools. Uh, we don't have the right curriculum. We don't have the right partnerships with industry. Now, those things could be issues, but what they chose to educate me on was the lack of affordable housing. Uh. And I was thinking, well, that's not a workforce issue. I don't know what I can do about that. Now, I'm sitting here today telling you I don't know that there's anything that our office can necessarily do about that. But it did open my eyes to the fact that if you don't have affordable housing in your community and yet you have industries who need people, you're forcing a, a, a population to have to travel greater distance, thereby uh, reducing the likelihood that you're going to have the people that you need when you need them. So that's a domino factor. That's, a, that's an issue of complexity that I hadn't really fully appreciated nor uh, uh, understood uh, completely. Um, people tell us all the time uh, a lack of reliable transportation. If you travel through the Mississippi Delta, there are a good number of people who would love to go take advantage of a job at, at Robinson Electric in Cleveland, Mississippi, but they don't have reliable, uh, consistent transportation to get them from point A to point B, whether that be from their home to a place of training and education or actually to the place of, of business. That's a domino factor. So hurdles, obstacles, or some of the challenges there is how complex and how many domino factors there are in workforce. And again, I won't be here telling you that we're going to solve every one of those issues. I do think the, 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 the entities that sit around that table, just like we had at their symposium, amongst those entities, there are resources there that can solve those issues. And it's, it's encouraging to see so many of our partners say, hey, I've got resources that can address that. Let me help focus some funding to help with transportation, or let me help focus some, uh, some, some initiatives that might help where the housing issue might be concerned. Whatever the case may be, the complexity. The other is, um, and I said this uh, within the first few months of, of working in, in, in this position, you know, the, the challenge is not so much that the left hand doesn't know what the right hand is doing, it's that the left hand doesn't know there is a, uh, a left hand doesn't know there is a right hand. Um, I think that there are a lot of entities out there doing a lot of different things that um, in some cases may be successful, but the, the lack of coordination and the disconnect that has, has existed for so long is, is the other big challenge for us. So it's complex, multiple layers. Um, it's not just all education and, and, and equipment. It's, it's some of these domino factors that we just 
didn't, we haven't really thought about in a concerted and strategic way. And it's also um, just getting entities to, um, uh, you know, be able to communicate more frequently and in a way that they understand the programs that they each have under their umbrella and how to focus those in a coordinated fashion. So those are always going to be challenges and obstacles. Um, we've made some great strides in overcoming those, um, but we're never done getting better. Very insightful. You know, the, uh, the, the notion or the, the mention you had of, of the housing, you know, that is, uh, gosh, I, I have no idea how we solve that or <clears throat> how it gets fixed. But um, I've got, you know, lots, lots of folks out there and friends and family and uh, others that, you know, around my age, are, that's, that is one thing that, you know, is a problem. Well, we'd like to move here, move there, for maybe for work or not. But oftentimes, yeah, well, look, we're stuck right where we are. We are. And, and here's the other thing that I would say. Not all of the things that we encounter are the job or responsibility of the government to fix. Sure. Okay, so I'm, I, I tend to be a limited government kind of guy. But here's where I see opportunity, is a lot of industry partners are starting to recognize that they have resource that they can deploy in a very creative and innovative fashion that can address some of these issues that run parallel to some of the things that the government is doing. So these public-private partnerships where you find company X deploying resources in, in a way that can maybe open some opportunity where the government really shouldn't be or can't, but doing it in tandem. So uh, again, one of the things I get most excited about that symposium from the first year to the second year is we saw an increase in industry participation, which means they're at the table talking about these challenges, being willing to offer up solutions. Hey, we've got some funds, we've got some resources, we've got, in some cases, you have industries who are willing to bus people from great distances yeah to get them to, to work on, on time and in a safe fashion. So um, there, there's all sorts of examples where um, I think that uh, uh, you're going to see more success born out of collaboration in a public-private context where the government stays in the lane that it needs to and where private industry uh, can, can certainly uh, provide some resource and some benefit in a collaborative way without putting too much of the onus on them. Definitely. I love the model. That's for sure. Well, let's get a little more specific here. You know, one thing you did mention already, talking about, you know, transportation, reliable transportation to and from. Mm -hmm. While we can't necessarily always assist in the vehicle, you know, be it public transit, sure, you know, we got you. Mm -hmm. um, uh, you know, talking about highway and road construction in, in that arena, are you seeing, are you guys working on anything new right now? Are you seeing a lot of return to the workforce? Yeah, so I, I would say there's a couple areas in which we, I, I would say some of the programs, initiatives that we have, have an impact probably in, in that in that sphere. Uh, the diesel technician uh, program was one that I think has a direct connection. Um, and th th again, we, we started that in collaboration through our wet fund program. Uh, Mississippi Gulf Coast Community College was the first to step up to the plate and say we we can expand our program, but we've had some great success in doing that with others as well, um, and, and and doing it in a way where you've got more uh, men and women in Mississippi who who see the viability of careers in working on heavy machinery, uh, certainly working on um, you know eighteen wheelers or, or or on trucks, keeping those operational. Um, I think every time I, I drive up and down the highway and I see heavy equipment moving dirt or trying to improve uh, highways and byways, you know, there's an army of people that have to be there to make sure that those pieces of equipment stay operational and stay safe for the operator. So I do think that that has been an initiative and, and an initiative that has um, some great promise uh, for this industry sector. We, we've also spent a great deal in time and energy and resource on, on improving and, and increasing capacity in CDL and logistics and supply chain. Um, you know, you, you, it doesn't take much to, to look at a map of the state of Mississippi and uh, understand 
expand the instrumentalities of interstate commerce that take place here, whether it be waterway, railway, uh, highway, uh, and even airway, quite frankly. Uh, you have some major arteries running through the state of Mississippi. And, and so trying to make sure that you have uh, men and women who see the opportunity to engage in logistics and supply chain. You have major warehousing, major iconic companies moving to Mississippi uh, and bringing some of the most sophisticated technology into just warehousing um, and getting uh, product out and onto the highways and to the customers as quickly as possible. That's going to have a direct impact um, in, in, the, in, in your interstate uh, and, and um, road construction, road durability. We've talked actually to a handful of uh, construction companies who are asking questions about, um, you know, what does new technology mean for even just how roads are constructed and, yeah. and the durability and, and longevity of, of the material that we use. So I think there's some application there you're going to see grow over time above and beyond what we've already done through the diesel tech and some of the logistics supply chain programming that we've unveiled. Absolutely. Awesome. I kind of got two uh, two piggyback questions off that, Paul, if, if I may. Yeah, yeah. Before we get into the fun stuff. Um, one, and this I just have no idea. Forgive my ignorance. So all the work that you're doing with the workforce, any play or any involvement with like company recruitment, getting folks, you know? Yeah, yeah. So that's a great that's a great question. Uh, we are in our, we are not economic developers, uh, but we we recognize we are a tool used by economic developers, and we should be. Um, really, one of the, the loudest voices um, that came in, in support of the creation of our office came from the economic development community, in large part because for years, and really for decades, essentially, if you looked at some of our neighboring states, um, they will have a chief economic development agency like an MDA, like Mississippi Development uh, Authority, but they also had an office solely dedicated to looking at the challenges of workforce, and they've had that. So whether you're looking at a, a state of Georgia had something has something called Georgia Quick Start, Louisiana has something called LED Fast Start, which it's ha is technically housed within their MDA, uh, the version of their MDA. Uh, whether you're looking at Tennessee, South Carolina, Virginia has something called the Virginia Talent Accelerator. Each of these states has had this entity for quite some time. And we were a little bit late to the game, and economic developers were noticing that when they were going in and vying for projects with some of these states, that we were at a disadvantage in that we, we didn't have resource or energy being focused on developing strategies that might entice new, new industry to the state, or even expanding industry into the state, right? right? So um, we, we are not economic developers, and yet we sit at the table often with economic developers as they are entertaining or, or educating or providing information to new industries. Um, we travel uh, quite a bit, um, especially when we were asked to participate in these conversations and to develop strategies specific to that company that might uh, put us over the top in, in um in, in competition with some of these other states. We're seeing uh, that just in two and a half years' time um, that site selectors and, and those professionals around the world that, that typically engage in these and represent these big companies that are looking to locate a, a, a new facility in the states or in the southeast are taking note of Accelerate. Um, they're starting to mention us in, in the same breath as talking about the Georgia Quick Starts and LED Fast Starts. And I think with our programming uh, through the triage and the horizon thinking uh, buckets, customizable training is the third. That's where 
that's where we start to really work with our economic developers to develop a specific plan to that company that would sit that would be somewhat of a a, a, a carrot if you will to to land that company in mississippi i love that i mean it, it all ties together like you it said uh, and that's great uh, my second part of that or maybe a little bit different off of it, but, a, but a personal question if you mm -hmm. will uh, you talked earlier kind of you know look you guys look at maybe where the where the workforce need is, but you're also trying to match, you know, a, a good pay with that. Yeah, yeah. You got like a top five or a top ten, maybe on a, or maybe one that was surprised you. Yeah, well, no, I, I would say one of the initial ones right out of the, out of the gates that we saw there was a big need in the energy sector, specifically with utility line workers. Okay. Um, and so uh, one of the things that we saw when we first came into existence is that industry uh, energy companies throughout the state were talking about a. Uh, really a, a, a double-edged sword for themselves, uh, kind of a, a double whammy, if you will. Uh, not only were they not seeing new recruits, if you will, into the industry, they were also on the precipice of a major retirement of, a, of an age group walking out the door, both with, uh, you know, with great experience uh, and great ability. And so, um, you know, we all take for granted when the lights go out Amen. and the lights come back on. And we don't think very much about the men and women who are literally first responders who are going out into the dark of night many times into unbelievably dangerous environments to try to reconnect us to the grid, to br bring light back into our homes, to bring air back into our homes, to keep uh, uh, you know grandma and grandpa uh, safer because they they were able to reestablish the power to their to their homes. And so we, working with our community colleges and working with those industry, uh, those, those uh, energy industry icons like Mississippi Power or Intergy, some of the cooperatives, we were able to grow capacity in those uh, utility line worker program. I know Mississippi Delta Community College, uh, we've seen it at uh, Meridian Community College, East, East Central Community College, they have a collaboration there. I think even Jones College, many of the community colleges in the state stepped up to the plate and created larger capacity and thereby increased enrollment in those. I was shocked and surprised to see the earning potential. It is dangerous, it is hard work, but they get, they get paid very, very well. It's, I mean, it would, it would not be uh, out of question to, to have a utility line worker uh, after several years of working on the job you know, making $70,000, $80,000 a year um, or higher in some cases, depending on when, when they're needed and the kind of environment they're in. So that was a, that was a surprising yeah. one to me. Um, and, and certainly when you, if, if anyone who listens to this, which is probably gonna be two people uh, when they see that my name's associated with it, it'll be my wife and my mother. But, but if anyone who's listened to this, if you ever have the opportunity to go to the Mississippi Delta Community College Utility Line Worker Rodeo, that is oh. fascinating. That is where they are literally putting a dozen, two dozen young men and women up and down the pole, doing a variety of different rescue uh, exercises, um, certainly testing their ability to reconnect uh, and put them in, in, in scenarios that are just mind-numbingly mind uh, crazy. Uh, it's fascinating to watch, and it also gives you a great sense of relief knowing that there are, there are people that are willing yeah. to do that, and there are more and more people getting into the profession. Yeah, the fact that there's heights involved just pretty much takes yeah. me out. And I mean heights, yeah. okay? I'm, I'm not, not afraid of heights, you. but I'd be afraid of doing what those guys do. Yeah.
hilarious. Yeah, not going up there, that's for sure. Well, let's get into some of the fun questions. We want to give a, uh, a shameless plug real quick to our anti-litter stuff we got going on. I'm sure you feel the same Look, way that we do, right? I'm just going to get on a soapbox. Get on it. Do all right. It. So Let's yesterday, and it's it's probably because I have had too much caffeine. So congratulations <laughs> that you have me at the end of the day when I've got, I'm just caffeinated. Um, my son had soccer practice yesterday, and the, the field and complex shall remain nameless. But I, I just made it a point. I was running around doing a little exercise. I can't tell you how much garbage I picked up just from pe- what people just threw off the side of the field after their game, after their practice, after their whatever. It, it, was, it, was, really, uh, it was really disappointing. Um, my hope is that uh, we can do it. We, I, in fact, I know we can do better. Right. Mississippi is a beautiful state. Yes. We must take care of it. We've been called to be resource responsible. That includes keeping trash off the highways and byways and where it should be going, so uh, you don't have to convince me. I get on a soapbox about that. We're gonna just c- cut that clip right there. That'll That's be right. our next ad there we run go. right there. But we strongly on that, a picture of me just pointing a finger. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and on that note, you guys check out the, our, our ad that we got running right now. At the, uh, go M Dot. Check out the website there for the anti-litter messaging. What's the actual URL, Paul? That would be goemdot.com forward slash don't trash. MS. There we go. You I got it. I messed it. Don't up. trash Mississippi. Folks. Don't do it. And let's get into the fun ones here. Uh, and Paul, go ahead. Take off, man. All right. Let's let's. Uh, I'm not going to take your restaurant question. That's a Will okay. Craft question. We'll backtrack to that. But Ryan, I understand you are a musician yourself. I want to know your favorite band oh, slash musician. Go for it. So I- anytime you ask a uh, and w- look, we'll use the word musician loosely as it refers to me. I am, uh, I am, I pretend to be a musician, but it's it's a lot of fun. Uh, anytime you ask me, you know, your favorite musical group or or act or whatever, um, nine times out of ten, you're going to get this quizzical look, like, oh my gosh, I listen to so many different kinds of yeah. music. I love yeah. music; it's been a part of my life ever since I can remember. If you're asking me who am I listening to the most right now, there's a guy by the name of Gregory Allen Isakoff who is a, a somewhat of a folk singer. I, so I play a lot of folk and kind of old school, school country. Um, he's out of Colorado, Gregory Allen Isakoff, and he is a, it's very much a part of an acoustic uh, sound. Uh, he, he and his band, they are phenomenal. But I also listen uh, to, to, to a lot of the, the musicians and songwriters that my dad loved. So, of course, talking about Jimmy Buffett and his recent passing, yeah. uh, my R. dad R. was a big Jimmy Buffett fan, Hal Ketchum, um, oh, yeah. I listen to a lot of Jackson Brown, um, and then a lot of the things that, that I, I typically gravitate uh, toward. My wife is also a musician, and we both love Allison Krauss and Union Station, oh, yeah. which we've seen multiple times. Uh, so that, that's probably those are my favorites as of right now that I'm listening a lot to. I feel relaxed. Love it. Your playlist, make, I feel like oh, yeah. it's relaxed <laughs> totally. music. Totally. You know? Yeah, it's a good that. vibe. Very. <laughs> what about a concert? A favorite concert? Maybe you've been to. Oh, uh, so uh, yes. Um, I got two. Okay. No, no, no. I got three. I'm breaking the mold. I don't care what the rules are. I'm going with All three. Good. You can you can cut this out if you need to. So, <laughs> uh, best memory of a concert. I went to see George Strait in 1988 at the Mississippi Gulf Coast Coliseum with my dad. Now my dad has has been passed. He'll it'll be eight years in April, and my dad was very much my hero. And so anything my dad said was good. 
I thought was good, and he was a big George Strait fan. And so we went to that concert. Pam Tillis opened for him. Y'all are you're, you're too young to yeah, actually remember. Don't, I don't know yeah, actually, no, it's okay. Yeah. She had a song called "Maybe It Was Memphis." You need to look oh, it yeah. up. Oh yeah, okay, I know yeah. the song. So yeah. I I knew when Pam sang that song. Pam, if you ever watch this podcast on MDOT, uh, <laughs> I want you to know I knew you were singing that song for me uh, at, at at the ripe old age of ten. I think I was, but. Uh, Loved that concert. George Strait played an entire concert, just unbelievably. My dad was heartbroken, though, because his favorite song was called The Fireman. My dad had been a fireman before he had joined the Coast Guard, and so that was just kind of his theme song. He didn't play it. He said goodnight. He walked off stage, and my dad was heartbroken. And then all of a sudden you heard, and red lights started shining, and he came out, and that was his encore. And I have never – my dad levitated out of his chair. I'm sure. And I'll never forget that concert as a kid, enjoying it with my dad. That was a big deal. So that that George Strait concert. That's great. Another would be Allison Krauss and Union Station, where my wife and I went on one of our first dates. Oh, cool. And I don't remember the set list because I was so enamored with her. I really wasn't paying attention to the music. I'm sure it was great, but I was more enthralled with the woman sitting next to me. Uh, that, that was in the Orpheum at, uh, in, in Memphis. And then the third, the most recent, I got to see Robert Earl King at nice. the Ryman Auditorium uh, this past year, or I guess year and a half ago now, for his final concert tour. I, got, I won a contest that allowed me to go do a co-writing session with oh, Robert nice. Earl King and then get to go to his concert and yeah. hang out with him afterwards. So those three. That's hard to beat. I yeah. mean, those are, those are good It's ones. a good three-way talk. Those are good three ways, right? Those are good three. That's awesome. That might be one of our best answers ever. Absolutely. That's good. It's way better than the workforce answers, I can <laughs> tell you that. It was uh, and look, let's let's not forget, um, you know, while we're here to talk about the I'm just kidding. Sure. Yeah. Uh, but a good restaurant question here for you, man. We spent a lot of time riding around Mississippi, traveling the roads. Maybe a, a, a place around here that you like to eat, and then maybe where's one you, you don't get to see very often. Well, I have to admit that, uh, <clears throat> you know, I have yet to really experience uh, Jackson cuisine as much as I'd like. To. I love food, uh, and it's hard to be in Mississippi without having an affinity towards good food. Um, for whatever reason, uh, you know, I, I, I love Bravo, uh, but again, that's probably because it was one of the first place I, places I had a date with my wife. So, it's a good spot. yeah, she. I'm starting to think about it now. She's really influencing a lot of things in this conversation. <laughs> that's a good which, thing, which is good. Wives yeah. do that. Yeah, yeah they, they're good at that. I'll, the, the two that I'll give you, the other two that I would say far, you know, from from here. Yeah. One is Pirates Cove in Past Christian, Mississippi. Okay, there's a new answer for uh, it is. It is. Um, it used to be uh, right on the beach in Highway 90, and, and Katrina uh, uh, erased them from the map, but they rebuilt. Um, and I can't remember exactly. They may be on Minge Avenue in Past Christian, maybe half a mile from the beach. Best po'boys I have ever had in my life. So if you want a good roast beef po'boy, shrimp po'boy, fried oyster, and you get an order of corn nuggets and a long neck Barks root beer in a glass bottle, life is good. That is good. So Pirates Cove, Pescarician, and then the other i got to pay uh, uh, homage to uh, the place where uh, I lived for, for most of my life there in Oxford, Mississippi, and say Ajax. Ajax is that go-to that if I want to take a good nap after a meal, that's where I'm going to go because whatever you eat there will put you – I mean, you just – you're so fat and happy after that meal at Ajax, you just can't ask for anything. I think better. that was also mentioned on a previous podcast. Oh, yeah. so maybe, two maybe, votes. maybe Paul. Ajax is a that's a, that's a repeat answer for sure. Go get the big easy, which yes. I believe is chicken fried steak, mashed potatoes and gravy yep. and butter beans. Yep, and that Perfect. will put you to all sleep. of the food groups represented on one plate plus a little <laughs> a little something extra. No doubt, love, love it. it. 
Well, Ryan, we have covered a lot of ground. You have me fired up for workforce development. The right man is in position over there. So thank you for coming and joining us today. It's my pleasure. I appreciate the opportunity. Yes, sir. So we'll wrap things up. I want to say, if you have any comments, if you have any suggestions for the show, we haven't mentioned this before, hit us up on social media. At Mississippi DOT is the handle. We, we want to hear from our audience for sure. We want to thank that audience. Thank you for tuning in to the Extra Mile Podcast. You can watch and listen to episodes by visiting goemdot.com forward slash the extra mile. We would be remiss if we do not thank our editor, Drew Hall, who does a ton of things behind the scenes for us, makes this show go. And remember to drive smart out there on Mississippi highways. Mm-hmm.